The Brood 10 podcasts made possible by support from Mount St. Joseph University School of Behavioral and Natural Sciences, cultivating an understanding and appreciation of the creative and critical nature of scientific thought. Climb higher at the Mount. Learn more at msj.edu. Welcome back to the Brood 10 Cicada podcast from Cincinnati Public Radio. I'm WVXU reporter Corey Sharber. The lifespan of a Brood 10 Cicada is a long, arduous journey to reach the emergence we're starting to see outside our windows now. Many of them won't make it to that stage, but the ones that do contribute all sorts of interesting benefits to our vast ecosystem. Once again, I'm joined by Dean of Behavioral and Natural Sciences, as well as a professor in the Department of Biology at Mount St. Joseph University right here in the Queen City, and PhD of Entomology, Dr. Gene Kritzky. This week, we're learning about those connections and benefits to our environment and how we should or should not get involved in their life cycle. Also, what mysteries are left to discover about these creatures? Gene, how are you doing? I'm doing great today. We're having another great conversation about the brew tin emergence. And, you know, I wanted to ask you more specifically about just how the cicada, what what role it plays in nature. And I wanted to see, like, exactly, you know, thinking of, like, this particular emergence, it comes once every 17 years. Like, how great of an impact does it have overall across an entire, you know, ecosystem just in within that little gap coming back up and forth. Um, you know, what good are periodical cicadas? Like, what purpose do they serve? And are they found throughout the entire planet as well? Like, what? how do they affect all the different ecosystems around our planet? Sure. Well, cicadas are found worldwide, except uh, obviously not in Antarctica. <laughs> and uh, they, uh, the periodical cicadas in particular, which come out once every 17 years, uh, are not if we if we wiped out every one of them we'd still have our eastern forest they'd still be here but when they do come out they do an awful lot of good for the ecosystem so for example let's start from the very beginning they'll start coming out of these holes in the ground about the size of your pinky and those holes uh, are like a natural aeration they allow uh, uh, they 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 allow the, the cicadas to go to leave but they also allow water to get down into the soil and uh, and, and they do turn over a lot of soil in the process of their life underground. So that's one positive. When the uh, adults finally emerge, after the nymphs have gone up and they transform to the adults, the adults are this wonderful food pulse that provides things like uh, uh, dogs, cats, although those are uh, domesticated animals, but things like uh, uh, raccoons and squirrels and birds, all sorts of birds, in fact, uh, will consume as many cicadas as they want. And that extra food pulse allows them to actually increase more offspring. So we'll have, for example, in the case of, uh, let's look like a collateral impact. We have uh, uh, more uh, mice and rats being uh, bred because there's a greater food source. That in turn can help owls and raptors. And so that's a, a benefit to those populations as well. Now, if, the, if there'd been some kind of demise in the population, they could help recover a little faster. That's once every 17 years, but it still kind of has an impact. When the female cicada lays her eggs in the uh, uh, terminal parts of the branches of the trees, the uh, uh, some cases about it varies on the on on the uh, age of the tree and the tree species, but a lot of times those those egg laying spots tear up the vascular tissue to the point where the leaves turn brown, 
And if it's a high wind, it can actually snap and sort of dangle there. And we call that flagging. And the flagging uh, is like a natural pruning. And this natural pruning uh, allows for, in the, the following year, for a greater flower set and uh, fruit production. So let's say it's a maple tree uh, that's been heavily hit by cicada egg laying. This year, it's going to look rather ugly. <laughs> Next year, it'll have more flowers and produce more, more of the winged fruits that the uh, maple produces, which can be beneficial. So for example, with the uh, die off of the ash tree, a, a number of places are reporting that more maples are coming up in those open spaces now. And so if there's a greater uh, fruit set, that could help hasten that along. And that's beneficial. But we're not done yet. <laughs> but wait, there's more. <laughs> the, the, uh, after they lay their eggs, they die. Wow. And they collect at the base of trees. And let's make it a nice warm June. And uh, uh, let's get it wet with some morning dew and get some hot 90 degree temperatures in there. And they will smell big time. And what's going on, of course, is the, their uh, remains are decaying. And as they decay, all those nutrients go back in the soil around the tree. And it actually does form a, uh, a nutrient cache, if you will, mm. of that helps the tree for the next 17 years. So other than just providing us content for a podcast, they're sort of like natural fertilizer for the planet, you would say. Yes. Although, I, <laughs> not joking aside, the one <laughs> real benefit for me is they got me tenure. Well, you know, it already made us content. And made our trees pretty. So that's all. That's right. All in, man, that's a uh, goodness. How many ducks in a row do we get there? That's a pretty <laughs> good amount. And also, sorry to all of our listeners in Antarctica that can't uh, take part in the Brood 10 Emergence. Hopefully this podcast will uh, suffice all of your needs. Um, now, we were talking, of course, about like how it's kind of like an interesting life cycle, how they start out in the ground, come back up, and then essentially co go back into the ground as fertilizer. But of course, while they're underground for all that time, you know, how much activity is going on, like, w that we can't see from, from the surface level? Oh, it's quite a bit. Uh, first of all, the eggs are laid, in the, as I mentioned, in the uh, terminal branches of the, uh, the terminal ends of, of branches of trees. They'll hatch in six to eight weeks. And those uh, nymphs, as we call them, the, the very first hatchlings out of the eggs drop to the ground and get immediately below the soil. And uh, by uh, New Year's Day, they're eight to 12 inches below the surface feeding on a tree root. And they'll probably stay within one meter of that space for the next 16 and a half years. And uh, uh, so, but they're not, they're not sleeping. <laughs> they're not in hibernating. Uh, they are active. Uh, they're as active as they can be that far down because the temperature is relatively cool in the, in the mid fifties. And uh, they're sucking on a tree root. And if they need to, they can burrow a little over here and get, you know, find another tree root uh, uh, and, uh, and continue surviving. Mortality is pretty high, uh, underground. It's, uh, it's estimated by some individuals that we may lose as many as 98% of the cicada eggs may end mm. up not making it to adulthood. Uh, that further illustrates the sheer number of eggs that are, that are laid. But uh, uh, it, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's not an easy life, but it's a comfortable life in that there's not a lot of, you know, worry about storms or protected. It's, it's a nice, quiet life. They don't interact with others. So that's about kind of kind of jealous of that actually. <laughs> and of course, they even they, even you said ninety eight percent of them may may perish before they even come out of the ground. But there's still so many that come out. I mean, well, how many how many typically come out during an emergence? Are we looking at the millions, billions, gazillions? I, <laughs> I don't know how many zeros I would add well, to the end of that. But if you're looking at it, it depends on how much of an area you're looking at. 
Uh, and uh, we, I, I've, it's not improbable that you might see between 250 to 300 per square yard. But they're, they're coming out under the trees. You're not going to find them in open fields, for example, doing that. Uh, that, uh, looking at an area, let's say, uh, uh, Marymount or Madeira and all the trees you have around there, start looking at that, that area, you're going to be seeing several million cicadas coming up in, in those little areas of, of, of Cincinnati and some of the suburb, other suburbs. Uh, we start looking at it statewide. It's going to be in the, in the billions easily. Uh, as I, I've actually measured one area where just a small little section, not very large at all, had almost a quarter million cicadas come up. So what type of trees do cicadas prefer to lay their eggs in? Obviously, they would want a tree that ha- provides a ton of nutrients for all of the eggs they're, they're going to be laying. Do they have a favorite one that they, they you know, attach themselves to? Well, they're rather, they're not very picky. <laughs> They've been shown to lay their eggs in over 200 species of woody plants. And uh, one year I actually thought, well, maybe because the the whole cicada family evolved in Southeast Asia or in, in Asia, that uh, maybe the ginkgos, because they're from Asia and were introduced mm. uh, into the states, that maybe they would have a, a, a higher, more, the cicadas would have a higher mortality if they laid their eggs in ginkgos. And so fortunately at Spring Grove Cemetery, we've got a large stand of ginkgo trees. And I remember collecting all the... Uh, the uh, egg nest that had fallen and did an analysis by, by – you basically go in and dissect out the eggs. And it turns out they, they still had a 85% successful hatch rate, the same as anything else. So mm. uh, that's uh, – it doesn't seem to be that uh, uh, th- that they were favored in that case. Now, if they lay their eggs in conifers, like a white pine, that can be devastating. That'll, mm. that'll kill half of the eggs. And that's because of the uh, the saps and the other uh, organic molecules that are in, in conifers. But uh, – uh, they don't seem to be that picky. I've seen them uh, lay their eggs even in white pine, which you wouldn't expect to be very good, but uh, it's a rather large selection of trees. There are some studies that show slight preferences. Uh, we know that, but their preferences in many cases relate to the species. You know, the bigger, larger species, the the pharaoh cicada, the one that, that makes that call, uh, Magiscata septendecim, they do really well in oaks. Whereas we find... Uh, uh, the uh, Magisicata cassini, the one that makes it sort of sound, uh, they they prefer th- prefer things a little bit like the uh, the Bradford pear, for example. Is there a way the listeners can tell if they have cicada, cicadas in their yards? Of course, obviously they can just wait till June and and just stick their ear out the window and <laughs> probably find out. But what other ways can you tell that um, you'll have cicadas in your yard before um, the emergency even starts? There's two things they can do. They, you can take a shovel and start digging to see if you can <laughs> find them. They're going to be pretty close to the surface. Mm-hmm. I've had a number of people tell me they, they walked out and they found this board in their backyard and they lifted it up and there was tunnels all over the place. The cicadas just mm-hmm. crawling like crazy. Uh, the, that One way that you can tell is to actually go out and look for their old egg nests. The uh, egg nest, uh, uh, if they don't, if they haven't flagged and fallen off the tree, those egg nests can heal. And if you know your tree morphology, you can actually go back 17 years on that on that limb and see the healed scars of an egg nest. And uh, that's how I actually go about studying the nymphs. I actually go out to a tree and I start counting back and I look and I find ah, there's the there's the egg nest, and I start digging below there. And uh, it startles my colleagues because it's almost like cicada divination. <laughs> you walk, dig here, and, and they're there. But of course, I could probably say anywhere in that whole area and say that we'd find cicadas. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's 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 a it's a it's an easy way to find out. You know, we talk about just you know the the mortality rate. We even talked about some of the trees that even may be kind of 
not suitable to to prolonging the you know the amount of cicadas that will be in that in that certain certain pet badge um what can people do to help cicadas survive into the future i'm kind of thinking you know we we see a lot of advocacy for you know um beekeeping recently trying to keep pollinators alive but i mean we're kind of talking about how cicadas provide a great a great food source for for a lot of creatures and they also serve as a fertilizer once they well, mm-hmm. unfortunately, pass away. What can people do to help them survive into the future? Well, the one thing they could do that'd be very helpful would be to plant more trees, and uh, not just for the cicadas. But uh, studies have found that uh, trees planted on the say on the southwest portion of the house, the shade, can actually provide uh, lo- help uh, reduce the electrical costs for uh, air conditioning costs in the uh, in the uh, uh, summers. But when the leaves fall off, there's more exposure, and that actually warms the house more from the sunlight. So mm-hmm. uh, that's one thing they do. It'll help their own heating and electric bills, but it also provide opportunities for the cicadas to uh, lay eggs. They need to do that though within a mile of where there are periodical cicadas already. So the cicadas can fly in. If it's a really heavy infestation, they will do that. Uh, I've seen that happen on one occasion where uh, a whole section was, uh, development came in and they just clear cut everything and then nothing emerged. But 13 years later, when the cicadas did come out, they flew in in large numbers. And so I'm looking forward to going visiting that site this year to see how, how well the cicadas did. It seems like we've made all the discoveries there are to make about cicadas. Like what else is there to learn, you know, especially in the wake of the Brood 10 emergence? The big unanswered, unanswered question is we know how they count the years. We don't know how they remember what the count is. <laughs> And so that's something I'd love to know. Uh, that, that's kind of an intriguing uh, problem. The other thing that's going to be, uh, that, that we're hoping to discover more about this year with uh, the use of cicada safari is to find locations that uh, had been missed over the last 150 to 200 years of looking for periodical cicadas of brood 10. Uh, we have found in several instances whole new populations that have been missed. And I'm certain that there are parts of counties and, and sections of states that, for whatever reason in the past, nobody cared enough to tell somebody that the skates were there, and they are. And, of course, the other, op- the other concern is there are areas where they were in big numbers that they may be gone. Well, hopefully uh, you'll continue to make more discoveries within your research and our listeners will discover more things about the brood 10 emergence and cicadas in general. Gene, as always, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Now, Gene, I've been asking you a ton of questions throughout this this recent discussion, but I'm not the only one with questions. There are listeners that have been submitting us questions to our email. Gene, are you prepared for whatever is coming your way? I rise to the occasion. Absolutely. Our first question comes to us from Karen from Eden Park in Cincinnati. I have lived in Cincinnati for 35 years. Until 2016, I lived in a single family home in fairly new developments. I now live on the 19th floor of a condominium, and one of my neighbors is worried that cicadas will attack her on the balcony. She previously lived in Terrace Park and tells me that the cicadas were so thick, she hired people to shovel them off her property and haul them away. Can you provide your prediction of what we can expect in our building? Many of our residents are not from Cincinnati and are unaware that Brood 10 is coming. Well, that's right. But periodical skaters like to fly into trees. And so you're going to see them fly into the, what you see some of the tallest trees, maybe two, three stories tall. On the 19th floor, uh, the only cicadas that will likely get up there will be bl- windblown if there's a 
a, a major updraft or something like that. The, now, if her neighbor lives on the third story, <laughs> she might have some flying in. <laughs> uh, but uh, numbers like we've seen the, in the past, uh, like a Terrace Park in the past, uh, where people had to get sh- people to shovel them off, that can happen. Uh, but again, the, they're not great flyers. They're not like dragonflies. They're not strong flyers. All I have to do is sit there and watch them on the first few days after they, they, they have come out. And, they're, and birds are going to be picking them off in the air. And they're, they're, they're sort of, uh, they're not sleek by any means. So I don't think you need to worry that much, especially on the 19th floor. Well, hopefully the birds will take care of it so she can keep the shovel away. But once again, thank you so much, Karen, for your listener question. Thanks for listening to the Brew 10 Cicada podcast. Our thanks as always to our guest expert, Gene Kritzke. You can learn more and assist Gene's cicada mapping efforts by visiting cicadasafari.org. Be sure to subscribe to this show wherever you get your podcast. You can send questions and comments for Gene or our team, either in writing or by recording a voice memo and emailing them to broodx at wvxu.org. You can also use the Talk to Us feature on the WVXU app. Your question or comment could be used on a future episode. This podcast is produced by Josh Elstro with additional support and web assistance from Kevin Reynolds and Jim Nolan. For Cincinnati Public Radio, I'm Corey Sharber, and you've been listening to the Brew 10 Cicada Podcast. We'll talk again next week.